What taps at our windows with untrimmed nails, tests its reflection by an uneasy glow, and beckons with swirling tendrils at once both the flock and the crow? When, why, invite such an omen in, or meet at the threshold where the glass becomes thin? Hey everyone, welcome back to Solocene, the podcast that imagines a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. This is the sixth episode in our internet semester, where we are unpacking how the internet contributes to society at the moment and imagining how it will contribute to a positive society in the future. Want to explain your poem, Aaron? Yes, I will. So today's theme, I suppose we try and clump our questions for each episode on somewhat of a similar vein. And today we are talking memes a lot. I feel like we're talking kind of about a more psychological side of the internet and it just makes me think about it as quite a good, if an imperfect proxy for, say, the collective unconscious, you know, that psychological mm-hmm. idea, which I think has just been, is probably what, like a hundred years old, but has just been so well realized now with the internet and mm-hmm. the internet culture. And so the poem was inspired by something that's always terrified me, mirrors reflections windows also i'm always scared to be alone with mirrors because i feel like there's going to be something or my reflection is going to like come out or another face will appear mm. and i was kind of trying to do this threefold symbol i suppose of the the mirror the window and the screen the glass mm. thing that we're always looking at and sometimes when it goes black you know between netflix episodes you see your reflection in it and it's this creepy idea of what is also coming out of it you know what i mean not just the image but some some small window into the the collective unconscious but also in trying to wrap it into a more utopian lens this the shadow side of culture this is kind of a vague psychological grouping of concepts because i'll be the first to admit i am not carl jung yeah i will also admit that i'll be the second to admit yeah the second to admit um (laughs) we have to integrate with this right like you Mm. can reject it entirely or you can you can try and make peace with it in a way or use it. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's a little bit what we're getting at with the first question today, which is memes, which is kind of us. That's how I'm viewing it anyway, like us dipping our toe into this thing <laughs> through humor, basically. Yes, I don't think memes, I don't think this will be the last time we do a deep dive on memes. This is probably just going to scratch the surface because they really are one with society and also one with the internet. It's really hard to escape any kind of conversation about the internet without talking about memes, hence why we do a meme of the week for this semester. Yeah. So the question was a bit varied, but it was just talking about how do memes impact their brains and how do they reflect society? So I did a little bit of research into internet memes and also, of course, into memes themselves. Anthropologists and linguists believe that memes have been around since humans have been around. Yeah. Basically, they just are a part of how we communicate and how we kind of take bite-sized bits of... I had the exact definition. Oh, you go for it. So I think it was first coined in 1976 by Richard Dawkins, right? Who's a biologist, evolutionary yeah. biologist. And the definition is a unit of cultural information spread by imitation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the cultural parallel to the biological genes. I feel like we talked about this in one of the early episodes of Solocene, but it's important to remind ourselves. So that's where it comes from. And it's really interesting now that I think if you poll like 10 people on the street, you say what's a meme, almost always they're going to point towards comedy, right? Humor. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas it doesn't inherently have to be that. No, it could be like in the 80s, everyone was singing the same song or had a jingle stuck in their head or something. That's a meme. It's just something that kind of is like in French, meme, M-E-M-E, it means... The meme, the same. Yeah, the same. So it means something that everyone kind of has in common. And I feel like that's a great place to start with this discussion is that they contribute to how we relate to a new group of people. So you walk into a room of people who are, say, 25. Yeah. And you kind of have an idea of their sense of humor and so on. And memes are like the quickest way, I think, to relate to people. And it might not just be the humorous memes. It might just be cultural things, as we're saying. Right. But I feel like it's really become essential online because you don't actually know the people in the room. Hmm. But if you're going into a subreddit about football, for example, a great way to kind of establish yourself and be well known is to reference a few memes here and there. Be like, oh, what about that time that Kane blazed the ball over the crossbar in the World Cup game or whatever? And people be like, Haha, yeah, meme, I get that True. sort of thing. And also it's a good way. So you enter a new subculture online or just like you're entering a a new game room or whatever, like to play with people and using the language of those people. Yeah, of course. It's how you instantly relate. But I don't necessarily know. I would say that online it's become so extreme. Hmm. Whereas before, if you just entered a room of people, um, say you were going for a ballet class and it would be like, oh, it would be a topic of conversation, perhaps a new ballet that's playing in town or talking about this age old um, dance that you all have in common, but it wouldn't be so codified. Well, yeah, I think that's that's the distinction, right? If if we say that the time was at least defined in 1976, if having existed really as a concept for, you know, since humans and since human culture, mm-hmm. we can contrast it with the internet specific version of it, which is, as we say, often comedic, the image of the football player missing the penalty, you mm-hmm. know, being uh, being taken for laughs. And also, as you said, hyper specific, we talked in previous episodes about how the internet kind of accelerates one's um, going down the rabbit hole of different niches, aesthetic or hobbies or communities or whatever it may be. And also changing faster than it would, say, in a regular ballet school. Mm-hmm. You know, like a video game message board, the culture, the slang, the references, the memes mm. change faster than they would in an in a old-fashioned prep school or something like that or a workplace before the internet. That's key when we're talking about memes as kind of an in towards being in the group, the in-group, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was funny because it's so... Because we... We didn't necessarily grow up with the internet, but because we've come of age with the internet, it's something I didn't exactly think of, of how reliant we are on this language, not just online and in person now when you meet new people, of like using this language and using these images to relate. I read a study about how quickly memes evolve. So this group of people used the same tactics they use to track the virality of a virus so the mutations and so on to track memes and basically every six months the number doubles Mm -hmm. so that's exponential right so it's like there's two memes there's four memes there's eight there's 16 Uh, it's like a basic concept that's the the biological organism to the culture like analogy again 
yeah. it's really funny because if we're talking about the internet as a spiraling acceleration thing, that's the point in the movie when they're growing the virus and they're like, we can't stop it. It's, yeah. it's beyond containment. <laughs> it's like a cancer cell or something like that. Yeah. And my favorite part about this study is that in 2019, because they were using the re- the subreddits because obviously that's the best place to like, Sure. you can put the information easily into spreadsheets and stuff. They're using the memes subreddit and then the dank memes subreddit. And in 2019, it just reached a point where they were coming out so quickly that they couldn't they couldn't analyze it anymore. So it basically reached the point on the hockey stick curve where yeah. it was just going straight up. It was doubling like basically every second. I had a point about that speed and that because when when we originally kind of thought of this question, my first thought is that we were going to be dealing a bit more with the evolution of memes from early internet to current and perhaps how their change has reflected a change in how we perceive ourselves as individuals. So like mm-hmm. we talked a bit before about bad luck Brian or the troll face or stuff, how that has perhaps evolved into things that are ostensibly only only slightly different, but really they they signify a bigger difference in how we are perceiving ourselves or how the meme users, maybe they've just gotten younger, I don't know, like that kind of thing. But I feel like we'll be covering that a lot. We're kind of indirectly doing that through our memes of the week. We're not doing it in a chronological order, but we're going to be getting, I think, quite a representative survey of memedom from the beginning to the, to mm-hmm. the end. But I was also thinking about with that acceleration and, and the fact that, as you said, it's so important even being, being able to recognize these images and these patterns. You know, it's actually a meme in itself of the, the elderly person using Facebook who will respond to an announcement of death or a funeral with the crying laughing emoji, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, because they don't get it. So they're not in. Mm-hmm. You know, like th- these kind of things which we take for granted, they're actually not that um, intuitive for, for people who weren't raised in them to an extent. Yeah, people who think LOL means lots of love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking about um, the idea of the the extremely online. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this phrase. It can also be known as the chronically online or the terminally online, which is my favorite because mm. it makes it seem again like an illness, like a biological yeah. <laughs> problem that you need to stop. So I, I really like that terminally online, which refers to someone closely engaged with internet culture People said to be extremely online often believe that online posts are very important. So it's the idea that when we're, when we're tracking memes and their kind of psychological reflection of us as a culture, that's why I say it's kind of an, it's an imperfect proxy because on the one hand, memes, I think, tend to be driven by people who are extremely online. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of us aren't, we're, we're rather kind of dipping in and out. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are some memes that completely pass you by, mm-hmm. but then others that you know quite well. Yeah, certainly. So that's basically my goal, though. Yeah, it's I, my goal, too. I try too. and consciously be like that. I remember I was so kind of enamored with this girl who we were in a, a group with on campus once during a school project when sometimes I would say things. And I don't think I'm that online compared to people our age, but I would say like, oh, he's the goat, the mm-hmm. greatest of all time talking about some sports thing. And she was like, goat, what, that's some kind of internet word, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I admire that so much. It's, mm-hmm. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Do you think you could track the point where you kind of stopped being online, stopped being up to date? Because for me, I think I know I can just kind of try and explain right now the the point where I stopped. I think for me, it's like a, a, a scale or a balance. <laughs> I can chart it almost exactly with the correlation of how interesting my life is. Mm. When my life is very, very dull and I feel like I don't have much agency and I just feel quite annoyed or or. Um, miserable with day-to-day events, then I'll be online a lot. Mm-hmm. If my life is fulfilling and interesting, then I won't be online very much. I see. Just right now, I'm thinking the point that I dipped out and kind of hopefully will never go back in was 
when beans were really popular as a an anal- you would use that word for anything toe beans human beans oh beans yeah but that seems like your type of thing though no i know that's the thing and you maybe that, that was your peak that was my peak and then when i fell then i haven't gone back <laughs> but humor was never going to pe- beat that for you so no. why try Okay, I'm also, I'm going to go to the meme of the week now because it's it's good for this discussion. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. Basically, my internet consumption has always been very, like, filtered because it was usually just through what my friends are posting. Like, I never went to the source. I was never on Reddit. I was never on even YouTube, really, until recently. Like, I wasn't getting it from the source. I was mm. getting it secondhand. So, I don't know about these like what it's called. Yeah. So I just learned what this thing is called and it made me upset that I was like a part of this unknowingly because it's so, it's like anti-solacine in almost every single way. Okay. And it's also just aesthetically, ugly isn't even a strong enough word. It's just like repulsive. Okay. Aesthetically repulsive. But I realized I was a part of it, but I'm going to try and absolve myself of a bit of blame because yeah i didn't know and i also think it was just kind of part of my my language perhaps outside of the internet like it just kind of is how i was because i was a very wholesome child but anyway it's called lol speak have you ever heard of this i think so so it comes from lol cats which i thought lol cats which i thought was those cats the pushing cats, the like gray ones that are very round and plump. But LOL cats is a part of the internet that has been around basically since Facebook came around and it's all of the cat memes and it's kind of like a canon and it was like codified in that you use this cat to say that you're sad, this cat to say that something's funny. Grumpy cat, was was he or she involved? Yeah, so okay. like Grumpy cat, the salad cat, they're all the, a part the of this. salad cat, I'm not sure. The salad cat is the one of the woman yelling. Oh yes, okay. And then there's the cat by the salad. Um, (laughs) so anyway the cat community but then from lol cats which was the language of the pictures there came the lol speak which is spelling variations imitating the speech of children in some regional accents so it's like when you use a z instead of an s can i has cheeseburger yeah yeah that's exactly it can i has cheeseburger is the main website which i didn't know existed <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then i saw it and wished i could wash my eyes with what, soap that's how you used to talk <laughs> okay <laughs> when you were how old it wasn't necessarily the words like i don't i've always found that a bit kind of gross mm-hmm. of intentionally speaking like a child but i always found goral very funny like g-o-r-l yes okay. like even yesterday my friend texted me that i was watching her dog and i said oh she's going <laughs> I said she's going ham chasing leaves because she was going around chasing leaves. And my friend yeah. texted me and said, yeah, she's a leaf girl. Right. Is this, <laughs> is this seems adjacent to doggo and pupper a little mm-hmm. bit. It seems very pet. It's all the same. Okay. It's all else. Basically, it's, it's a language. They've kind of. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So it's a whole language. They have it all worked out. Um, <laughs> but there's so there's all of this like speaking like a baby, rearranging words and mm-hmm. stuff. But there's also some other words that kind of came from this that became a part of our young adult not young adult but our adolescent language just day to day without kind of knowing like cray was a came from this like crazy yeah saying cray saying bay yeah um did did you say that though for a period of time like i would type it fam is that's not fam isn't a part of this okay yeah yeah epic fail 
derp. Oh, amaze balls. So they kind I can of imagine you saying amaze balls. Yeah, amaze balls. That's what when I saw that I was like, I feel like I just said that from a young age, probably. Right. But all of these things come from LOL speak, <laughs> and the part that gets me is someone took the time to translate the Bible into LOL speak. Right. Shall I read an excerpt? Please. I don't actually know if I can this do this. This is how we like, should have started the episode, though. <laughs> I don't think I can do it because I don't want I'll read it. any record of me saying this. I'll read it. In the beginning, sea wing cat mated to skies and to earths and stuffs. So in their translation, they use sea wing cat. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, God. Just, this is, seems kind of infantile, though. Yeah. Like, it seems okay. like humor that, like, 10-year-olds would find funny. Yeah. And you and I appreciate a really good rearranging of words. For example, Kino Roves yeah. was once pronounced in our presence and we still will laugh about Instead it to this Keanu day. Reeves, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we love a good misspeak. <laughs> but this is intentionally misspeaking and it almost becomes unfunny because it's on purpose and trying yeah, yeah. to make people laugh. Like, yeah, I love when people accidentally say things and it's just, like, funny because we all do it so often. I probably do it 10 times a minute on this podcast. Yes, yes. But it's, yeah, very infantile. I don't love it. I hope it goes away. Well, I had this question about maybe the difference between a Kinu Roves and a Icon Has Cheeseburger. Yeah. Which was, memes by definition are repetitive. Mm-hmm. Do they become more or less funny by their repetition? I think there, it's probably a bell curve. A bell curve, right? I was thinking yeah. about that like a, like a pop song. Mm-hmm. Where first everyone's like, this is garbage. It gets inculcated. It gets spammed into your ears mm-hmm. until this is an earworm. And then it's, this is insufferable once more. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that with memes, right? Yeah. But maybe it's just the speed with which this happens is mm-hmm. changing. It's yeah, kind of funny. I think so. Because it's funny, like, the first time you see something that's original, it's funny. But then everyone starts posting out it. But then it gets mutated so many times that there's kind of funny mm. versions again coming out of it. Meta, usually. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's a bit of a bell curve. Um, I had a, again, talking about the idea of just humor in general, I found these four theories as to what humor does, mm. like the purpose that it serves for the individual in society. My thought always was that it's it's kind of a healthy release, a way of coping with sometimes absurd or, or illogical or, let's say, unfair situations. Mm-hmm. Along with this, it also increases, let's say, your psychological resilience. Mm-hmm. Like That's why people say that laughter is good for you or one of the reasons. Yeah. I remember I was when I was reading about this, it was talking about like Carl Jung and other other psychologists of the time and how they would often say no patient is kind of a lost cause or beyond saving if they still have a sense of humor because mm-hmm. that's still a way that you can kind of relate to them. Yeah. However, far gone they may seem in other, in other aspects. So anyway, there's these four theories which I think can coexist, but they're basically different ways that you can subscribe to what humor kind of does. And the first mm-hmm. one is incongruity theory, which is humor as a response to an incongruity, ambiguity, logical impossibility, um, inappropriateness, or irrelevance, let's say. Mm-hmm. The second one is superiority theory, which is that humor arises from a sudden glory felt when we recognize our superiority over others. The third one is relief theory, which is humor as fundamentally a way to release or save energy generated by oppression. I remember learning about this one in class when I was studying ancient theater and they would talk about how some of the Greek plays, the ancient Greek plays were so kind of subversive to the politics at the time, usually presented as comedies because it was kind of a, a safe way of releasing some of that tension, mm. let's say with regards like 
gender politics or slavery or whatever it was at the time. And the other one is is kind of a group of theories, play theories, which is kind of a, a broad categorization of humor as an extension of animal play. And I thought it might be fun if we kind of think about some of the memes of the week that we've done so far and try and try and categorize them using these theories or like explain their appeal using these theories. Mm -hmm. So like bad luck, Brian, that seems to me like an example of the superiority theory, right? Whereas the, the well speak mm -hmm. that just seems like play theory, right? Like yeah. I just like, and a lot of the, the let's say the Gen Z absurdism, bees mm -hmm. chugger, for instance, mm -hmm. it's like, there isn't a, a victim, let's say, there isn't really any kind of social point to be made with it. There's just a cheeseburger with its inside out, basically. Yeah, and I think the incongruity is increasingly popular and in that is just saying things that are unexpected. Hmm. From what I understood, evolutionarily, your first point about incongruity is the reason why we laugh is it was a way to like signal that something has changed. So say we're like, oh no, we need to stand guard, we're being attacked. But then the person who was like watching and thought we were being attacked, realized it was just a cow with a bunch of shadows. Like it just looked like we were being attacked, but it wasn't. So they'd start okay. to laugh to signal, yeah. never mind, my expectations have been mm. changed. And then it would signal to everyone else. I think this one also politics today, like, you know, people say sometimes you just have to laugh when it's like, mm -hmm. this guy is taking all the tax money for himself. That's an incongruity. It's something that's not supposed to be happening. So you, yeah. you crack a joke about it, basically. Yeah. And I think the third one, what was that? Relief theory. Relief theory. That is also, yeah, it, it's kind of similar to the first one in that it's something goes unexpected, but it is definitely a good coping mechanism because it releases dopamine and makes you be like, yeah, I'm really sick and this sucks and everything sucks, but you can kind of laugh about it. Well, COVID, what else for COVID, do? let's say, there was probably yeah. a lot of like jokes that could fit into the relief mm -hmm. theory because otherwise it's just such a daunting situation. Yeah, exactly. Think. And these four really seem like four different personality types. Like everyone has a different sense of humor and air yeah, quotes. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. So I feel like these really fit into it. Like for me, I feel like the first one is probably my sense of humor, like incongruity. But because I'm not like super self-deprecating, the play theory does seem a bit like juvenile. And the superiority, again, not exactly my sense of humor, but I understand how different people have all of these based yeah. on their personalities. And I feel like that's an interesting way to look at these four things. Um, what are some other memes of the week we did? I did the one where it's like nobody blank mm. and then somebody x mm -hmm. it's so awful trying to d describe yeah. it over a podcast <laughs> i feel like that's a bit of a superiority one and that it's like yeah you, you're laughing at the a, person as a victim right yeah usually making fun of it mm -hmm. and i also did the one about the last two brain cells mm -hmm. which seems like an incongruity yeah incongruity or like the play ones it's just like but also we're, i think we're kind of misusing these theories like, yeah perhaps. as in as in their four boxes but i think you can kind of do it like that yeah but it's more like all some people think that all humor fits into, can be mm. described loosely with these things. Yeah, I'm sure that it can. Yeah. But I, I kind of like using it as these categories. I did the dress one, the two dresses. Right. That wasn't that one. really a funny meme though, right? No, but it does still feel like a superiority one and that people felt like they were right. And they like, that's, true. that's kind of why, why they got entertainment out of it. Not necessarily comedic entertainment, but it mm. was something engaging. Hmm. I like these theories. I want to look a bit more into them. They're interesting. Maybe we can have something else for next week about yeah. internet humor because I, I think it's 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 key to the conversation about culture and internet. Yeah, I think so. It's not just memes. So let's maybe just like describing 
Maybe like we each have to make a Soasin meme. Okay. Like a meme that would be a thing <laughs> in the Soasin. Okay. Sounds good. So the next question for today was about internet art. And I think it kind of has two parts. One, I was thinking about ways that the internet changes existing art forms, like painting, poetry, song, whatever, like the existing arts, the ways that the internet changes the way these are distributed and shared, but also chiefly made, like mm -hmm. the way that it changes when you are painting something virtually or even collaboratively on a stream or something like that, like mm -hmm. the way that becomes almost a form of performance art in some some cases. And the second one, which I think is maybe more important or maybe more interesting, and we haven't spoken about it so much, is art born of the internet. So what kind of sparked this idea was I was thinking about clothes, fashion, and how that is like the art of touch, because no other art really encourages you to to touch it with your whole body, mm -hmm. your whole naked skin. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, I don't know how the Mona Lisa feels because mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to touch it. But clothes, it, the touch is, I mean, I feel my clothes much more than I see them. Let's mm -hmm. put it like that. So, so that's interesting. Um, and so it's a little bit ironic that online shopping for clothes has become such a big thing because it reduces it, it compresses it to its, to its visual sense. Mm -hmm. And it does that for a lot of different things. But I was thinking about if clothing is the art of touch, like what could emerge as the internet art? It might be a bit of a vague question, but yeah, I had three ideas on what could be the the art of the internet. Yeah. Um, some of them are less nice than others. The first one is like kind of ugly and tacky, but I said the internet has really an, made an art form of navigation and interfacing and like website design. Yeah, UX, UI. Yeah. Because before it's like you have your microwave, there's like six buttons on it. Mm. Your TV has like three buttons or whatever. And like that was kind of the extent of your interfacing. But with the internet, it's become a whole visual, auditory, sensory experience of like yeah. you go on a website, you immediately need to try and communicate a bunch of different things to people, but not in an overwhelming way. And it's made, I feel like it's definitely made an art form of it. We talked about our favorite visual websites last week. And I don't mean just that, but I mean the actual technical, like the speed at which it loads between screens, mm. because like there's a whole science behind that and like art behind that. So I think that's one of the things. You think things. it's an art or science? Both. But all art is science if you think about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next is vlogs. So video blogs. Yeah. Blogs, I don't think are in any way exclusive just to the internet because With they're just, bee? yeah. Okay. They're just an extension of columnists and people who would like write opinion pieces in magazines and in newspapers so i feel like blogs aren't necessarily an internet art form but video ones are because yeah people have always been making short films and films but vlogs are so rapid and vapid and like personal current yeah and constantly up to date Infamously, Casey Neistat made like 200, 300 vlogs yeah. every single day but for maybe, years. Maybe even more than that, because like in Casey's case, it emerged from a, like that was a pre-internet thing that some some people in, some videographers have been doing a lot mm -hmm. of it. Um, but the sharing of it, I mean, and definitely his, the way he took it was, was mm -hmm. pure internet, the lo-fi music in there as well. Yeah. But I think like the purest distillation of this is the live stream. Mm-hmm. The live stream, maybe not just of someone sitting on their computer, but they do something called um, like on Twitch where you can go and watch people play Fortnite, Call of Duty, FIFA, chess. There's also a section for IRL. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is just you watch them go about their daily lives on the streets or doing doing errands or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. which is it's quite dystopian. But I think that's the purest. Whether that's out again, that's another that's another conversation about how much creative uh, decisions have gone into it. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And my third idea, I think I'm going to stay with the first as my my final answer for like what is the internet art form. My third idea was that the way we have become almost experts at socializing in two dimensions is kind of an art form because people always say the art of conversation and that has been, that was a big thing for years and years. People trying to tailor their social skills, like people would go to like boarding schools or things to become more sociable, sociable, sociable. Yeah. And so now (laughs) like this new way of doing it, we all almost have you have to become good at it and develop a knack for it or else you'll be left out of society. So it's like, I think it's an art form in a way that you have to use visual and text exclusively to communicate Mm. complex human experiences and emotions and ideas. And with the rise of emojis over just those, what are they called? Emoticons, I think. Yeah. With the punctuation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the rise of emojis it's a whole other language, basically, because as you said earlier, if you don't know the laughing, crying emoji yeah. is laughing, like you're ostracized. You don't want to be that <laughs> grandmother using the eggplant. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, it's a whole other language and obviously languages are. So I think it's, that's my third theory. <laughs> that's good. Thanks. I had three also that once they didn't really answer the question directly at all. They were just three thoughts. Fair. And the first one is kind of in contrast to yours when you said blogs, those aren't internet specific. I agree with like the the typical, the blog as in your WordPress, your Mm. medium, where it's a well thought out piece of near journalism or, you know, creative writing or or a diary entry of sorts. There's nothing particularly internet-y about that. But where it gets very, I think, internet-y and central to the idea of creativity on that platform is what I'll call arrangement blogs, Tumblr blogs, or when people used to have MySpaces, wherein because the content is so infinite on the internet, like it, it basically just seems internet, uh, infinite. And with the, the AI or whatever, I think that is literally infinite. Taste and the way that you arrange these things, your Pinterest board, for instance. Yeah, even just it, your social media page, like your Yeah, Instagram your social media. Feed. I mean, yeah. I think TikTok has gone, gone away with that a little bit, the idea of... Um, having to make your IG feed, your grid, right? It looks so, looks so good and complimentary. But I still think this is a key element of, I mean, think about aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of done this to the way people dress as well, where obviously we're not making the clothes for the most part. And it's, it's barely even about the one thing. It's barely even about the t-shirt or the pants. It's about just how your whole wardrobe is cohesive. Mm-hmm. Or if it isn't, then that should be deliberate as well. So I, I think arrangement, or I was also thinking about, say, the YouTube compilations of music. You know, like we we kind of um, subscribe to those arrangers, even though they didn't make any of the music. They're just choosing it and putting it into a playlist for us. Mm, but we curating. Them. Curating, yeah. Curating yeah. is the word I was looking for. Ooh, I feel like there's a question there for next week. Curation versus function or something like that. And how the internet has changed. How has the internet changed our focus from functionality to aesthetics or something like that something pertaining to that with curation Mm -hmm. yeah i agree there's a question and the other thing i was thinking about was fanfics 
I feel like that's very internet. I know、mm-hmm. they existed before the internet, but I think it's really exploded on Tumblr and DeviantArt. There's like millions and millions of drawn images of cartoons or people's favorite characters or crossovers, stuff like that. And there's also that one website with all the fanfics. I don't remember,、mm-hmm. but it's like people just write about it. And in the past, maybe when people weren't so like we weren't so kind of entrenched in existing media. Maybe those might have been original pieces, and I'm not、mm-hmm. saying they would have been better for that. But maybe you know, I think that's a change. So I don't know whether to call this the difference between entertainment versus arts, and how kind of disposable、um, entertainment may may seem, and that's why it generally earns the the label of contents,、mm-hmm. or it's some kind of some kind of an、uh, equivalency we can draw, wherein economics. You know the media has is increasingly dominated by fewer and fewer companies, and so too maybe a lot of the the creative effort that it inspires,、mm-hmm. funneling towards existing IPs and worlds、yeah. and characters. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. Even just like 20 years ago, when there'd be the movies in the box office would all be different studios, therefore different. Visual arrangements, casts,、yeah. tones. Yeah. But now you go to the theater, and it's mainly the same tone. Yeah, and so a it, very similar visual. Yeah, palette. It, it maybe it inspires a bit more of a homogeneity. Yeah, you could even say it doesn't inspire. So、sure. people just have to be. I mean, I wasn't trying to cast a value judgment. I was just trying <laughs> to describe. And the third thing I was thinking about is a bit related to that: is the idea of the vapor wave,、Ooh. which is quite a niche genre. Maybe you haven't thought about that for a while. Haven't. Very brief phase that I was in, in like. First or second year in university, vaporwave Aaron. When I was like, "Look how cool Bart Simpson is when he's looking all like nostalgic or something like that over a, a purple sunset." Vaporwave for people who don't know is like a, a. I think it's like I think you can describe it as a niche,、mm-hmm. a micro genre of music and visuals, which takes inspiration from eighties and nineties.、Um, city pop. Yeah, city pop. That's related, just like. These different esoteric graphic design and musical elements, elevator music, like that's in there somewhere.、Mm-hmm. Lounge music. There's a very corporate feel to it.、Um, it's. I think it's. It's largely kind of a, a romanticizing of. Just before the internet culture,、mm-hmm. like not long before,、yeah. but like just before the internet culture and things that aren't really good. It'll be、yeah. like、um, very plain looking. Um, corporate boardrooms or offices, or like I said, elevator music, just like boring stuff like that, made cool through a kind of deliberate, ironic surrealism.、Mm-hmm. I describe that in such a vague way. Just Google it, and you will、uh, you will see. For people who don't、mm-hmm. know, so I feel like that is also very internet. The collaging, again, the arrangement aspects of it.、Mm-hmm. But even you can think about like Off White, the brand, when they. Were all about the quotation marks、mm-hmm. over everything, so it would just be a sweater that said like "sweater" with quotation marks around it, as if like we don't really think that it's just an ironic thing, but also it's it's in some way a reference to the idea of the copy and paste. I feel like、mm-hmm. that's in there somewhere. Like when you're talking about internet art, the function of copy and paste, I was I was considering that has just like that's just never existed before in history. Like that's so seismic. Uh, an innovation、mm. that we don't even realize it today. Yeah,、But、you do it about, just like second nature. Think about, I don't know, if you had like a thousand word excerpt from a story that you really, really liked, 
you can just copy and paste it now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know you could you could photocopy before, but even that took some effort, mm-hmm. and even that wasn't around for it for very long. Mm-hmm. It's like rewriting. Yeah, you couldn't then edit it, so you either have to type it all out. Yeah. Word for word, and if you, I remember photocopying stuff and having to like white out and then write like paste. Mm. I mean, that's kind of where it comes from within copy and paste. Like you have to do it physically. Yeah. I remember doing that a couple of times, like before printing was as, as it is now that you could print from your laptop so easily. And yeah, it's just such a different experience. Yeah, so much I, more tactile. I mean, I think we're conflating a little bit the digital experience with the internet specifically. We've mm-hmm. done that a couple of times in this semester. I think it's fine because we probably won't have just a, I don't know, computer semester. Yeah. This is also where we talk about just the weird digital non-space, non-place as it were. I had one more thing kind of on the first two questions together. Uh, just a fact that I found interesting from that article I read about like the people who studied all the memes. Mm-hmm. And they said, since the dawn of the internet, memes have evolved the same way that cave art evolved to, to modern art. So they started out very simple visually. It would just be like a few words or like a really low bit image. But then they've evolved and evolved and evolved to be way more complex and like, I guess we kind of said it already, but just like codified and that you have to see these like six images well, yeah. all mushed together and you have to like get it. Of course. They're steeped in references. Mm-hmm. Like I remember seeing one, I'm not going to remember exactly, but you know that one that's like the different stages of, let's say, um, brain power. Yeah. Where it's like a very simple brain and the last one is like someone ascending. Mm-hmm. It was that, but then on the right column, it was various memes mm-hmm. and one of them was like is it it's not spongebob winnie the pooh right where winnie the pooh is looking very simple mm-hmm. and then very elegant and very sophisticated and then the next one was drake where he's mm-hmm. saying yes and then he's saying no to something mm-hmm. and the next one was maybe spider-man when he has the, or toby Maguire rather where he has the glasses on and then he has them off mm-hmm. you know like it was yeah, that. It so was it's a- like you have to know like eight different memes and mm-hmm. understand them all um, and I was also thinking about, I, I mentioned humor on the meme question, but it's funny how they can become just conversational tools or rhetorical tools. Because yeah, exactly. for instance, the Drake meme that I just talked about from the from the Hotline Bling video where he's pushing something away and then he's saying yes to something else, mm-hmm. um, that's not funny anymore. If no. it ever, like that's not comedic, but yeah. people would just do it to make a point about something. Yeah, I think so. You could, yeah, there's so many. So some things last. Some mm-hmm. things are, are recognized as this has value, so we're going to keep it. Yeah. Even though it's not funny anymore. It's true. It just like has a place. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, with the Spider-Man meme where there's like five of them in the circle. Yes. I feel like if you like point two finger guns at people, they get it. Mm. If it's like, oh, it's kind of like when you used to say jinx, but it's like that of like, Really? Well, you think that could, you think there, there's a real life, you think memes can translate to real life like that? I think so. That's an interesting like trial. Mm-hmm. I'd like I'm to know if people to... would get this i'm gonna try a few different things out maybe and i'll Over report back because i've noticed even just a few linguistic memes because i was preparing for this episode in just conversations with friends and i'm like whoa we just use this but i'll maybe make some notes this week yeah, so. you should. some field notes some field notes yeah return of the king <laughs> but yes the last question is about online gaming and the solo scene i think my initial thought was there just will be none but then again <laughs> i came up with three yeah Three ideas for it. I feel like this question was a little bit tacked on, but you know, mm-hmm. let's let's do our best here. Yeah. So my first idea is local gameplay. So that's when you like a bunch of friends gather and you're all playing on one screen. So it's not online then. But oh. 
these different teams can then compete against each other. Yeah. So it's like you can't just be alone in your room. You have to have your physical team yeah. and then you can compete. Okay. My second idea is schools or organizations that act as hosts to facilitate remote competition. So it's like my first thought for this was like training people in chess. It's like it'd be fun if the two schools or a network of schools connected their students mm-hmm. and you could kind of do it that way. And then the third idea is remote play. So just like as it is now, but within a geographic limit or having IDs be a bit more like you can't just share them and kind of like get people's IDs as easily. So like you can say you go to a gaming conference, you meet someone you like, then you connect and you can play virtually something like that. But always having a foundation of either a physical space or physical relationships. I was thinking about online gaming and why, why people do it. Yeah. Why we do it. Why do you think? Because we don't have people in our living room. Yeah, I'm assuming. <laughs> so it's mostly a substitute for community, yes, or friends. Mm-hmm. But also, I think when you think about what types of games people are mostly playing online, mm-hmm. it's about the competition. It's yeah. about the adventure. We already talked before about quests. Mm-hmm. I think quests should uh, should return in the yeah. solo scene. Whereas now people would only only get the chance to do one virtually, wherein you have to save mm-hmm. the princess. There's nothing like that in, in real life for, yeah. for a lot of adults. Um, or, so, or they don't feel that there is anyway, so that, which is equally as, as difficult an obstacle. I feel like if you were to outlaw online gaming, the software developers would just get really good at developing computer players yeah. for you to fight against mm-hmm. or you to play against. And that's like not what I want by any okay. means. Because you think about when you're playing chess online, you can play against Stockfish, which is like the the engine, the engine, or you can actually just play against real people. Hmm. And so I think you think there's a big difference there. Yeah, I think there's a big difference in terms of like the solo ness of it. Okay, um, but it sucks because it's you might as well be playing against the Stockfish if you're playing against because you can trash talk real people. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do anyway. Yeah, so like you might as well because you don't know these people. Hmm. But if you actually knew them, like if you play against someone you went to high school with. Yeah, you can trash talk or you can like have a conversation in the chat, but it's a bit more, I feel like it feeds your soul a slight bit more. Yeah, a slight bit more. At least even that knowledge that there's someone else on the other side of the screen. Yeah. Chess is a good example because I talked about Lee Chess last week as a good example of uh, website design. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in the solo scene, like how could we improve this experience? And one idea is like why with technology, I feel like just having it be a tactile board, things like that, like more tactile engagements mm-hmm. with the video game. It was like we're going the other way with uh, with VR helmets and touchscreens and such. But um, that's that's one of the reasons that I think people actually like video games sitting down on a, on a couch with a console, prefer it to, to a mouse and keyboard, mm-hmm. a lot of people do, because it you are fiddling around with little buttons and knobs and like toggles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it feels like you are controlling a ship or something like that. It feels like you're doing something. Um, so it, like with chess, maybe rather than tapping away, dragging with the mouse, like having the physical board, I think m- different ways that online gaming can can transform into more tactile user user interfacing. That, that That's a way that things could develop that's more solo scene. Mm-hmm. So another question I had was, should this be for children primarily or for grownups? Like which is healthier? Because I kind of flitted back and forth during the week. It's kind of hard. I feel like if you're a kid and you're starting with this, it's not going to facilitate any good, any good habits. Mm. But 
adults is almost equally as, if not more, sad. Yeah, my thinking, exactly, sad. My thinking for adults was you have the agency to, to change your life and, and start a quest, let's say. Mm-hmm. For children, sometimes you're stuck, but also you want to say for children, well, he should be playing outside and having quests with his friends or whatever. So I think in the solo scene, that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And also in the solo scene, that's what grown-ups are doing. Yeah. But, I mean, if someone wants to play small amounts... I guess it's fine. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know, have a conclusion. I like your point that adults have agency. Yeah. Because it's like, you can't exactly feel bad for, like, if in the solo scene a kid was raised, like, all the kids were raised outside. Yes. yes. And then an adult chooses to then play video games. Right now, you can't necessarily blame people because people were raised in, like, substandard experiences. Like, they had bad friends, like, school was really bad, they weren't, had no access to nature, whatever. Like, I feel like there's different psychological contributors to adults these days that you kind of, you can't blame them. But in the soul scene, I feel like you can blame yeah. them. No, yeah, okay. And then the final point I had was about just there being much less of a gamer culture mm-hmm. or these different peripheral involvements that we may mm-hmm. do. Watching a stream of someone playing, following the trailers, following the news, um, engaging with it online, whereas you could just be talking about it in person, that kind of thing. Like. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that more than they play video games, myself included, at different times in my life. So that, I think, is um, is a big no in the solo scene, or at least a small no, a small X. So thank you all for listening. We will see you next week on Monday for our next episode of Solo Scene. By the zine. <laughs>